Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Reagan Gilliland. And I'm Scott Gilliland. And I'm not used to doing this with another person. It's been a minute since it's we've done this together. Um, but we are both associate pastors here at Lover's Lane, United Methodist Church, and we're glad that you're with us in worship this morning. Lover's Lane, our mission statement is loving all people into relationship with Jesus Christ, and we are also the co-pastors of this community that we call Thrive that gathers at 9 a.m. online, and uh, we are glad that you're with us today. Um, we're glad because uh, I don't know where you wanted to be this morning, but I wanted to be with our people. I wanted to be at church um, and we are together, even though we're physically distant, because this week has um, been, I'm sure, as difficult uh, for many of you as it's been for me, and I'm sure it's been more difficult for many of you than it's been for me and my own family. Um, but what I do know is that in these kinds of weeks and these kinds of seasons, there's nowhere I'd rather be than to be with God's people and to be turning to God, turning to Scripture, um, adopting an attitude of prayer. And asking God, what is it that God would have me do? And what would God have my family do? And what would God have my children do? And what would God have my community do in response um, to the kind of grief that we have experienced um, this week? And so uh, to begin today, um, Reagan and I, it, it, it is Pentecost Sunday, if you're not aware. If you're not a, a church calendar nerd, uh, what that means is it's the day of the Christian calendar when we remember and recognize the birth of the early church. That, that moment in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit fills a room and all of God's people can understand one another and the Christian movement is really born as an institution and as a movement of God's people. And so in order to recognize that, in order to name um, what this week has brought for us, um, Reagan and I have prepared a prayer uh, to begin our, our message this morning that we would like to share with you now. Yes. So this is a prayer for Pentecost um, in the shadow of George Floyd. Would you um, pray with us? God of justice and of love, when you first set to creating, Genesis tells us of multitudes of women and men made to fill the earth, all of whom bearing your image, all of whom receiving your breath, all of whom blessed with your words, you are good. Each body you held, shades of black and brown and peach and pale, offering your warm breath of life to turn dust into something beautiful. In our brokenness, brother turned against brother, tribe against tribe, nation against nation, until your beloved children saw only enemies in the eyes of each other. Jesus offered us an image of wholeness and of life, a gospel of reconciliation, inclusion, justice, and love. We worshiped his arrival at the temple until tables started turning, systems were confronted, and our normal was attacked. Because Jesus refused to allow peaceful injustice to continue. We saw him as our enemy too, and with the blessing of every system of worldly authority, we bound his hands, choked his breath, and mocked his death. Christ's risen body still bears the wounds we inflicted, a reminder not only of the sin that we bear, but of Christ's refusal to allow our sin and injustice to reign forevermore. The pierced hands of our Savior usher us into the possibility that broken bodies, broken systems, and broken worlds can always be redeemed. 
Today we celebrate Pentecost Sunday, the day you gave birth to your church. As people of different nations, different tongues, different skin tones, different cultures gathered united by your Son and your love and your Holy Spirit like a mighty wind, like a breath of resurrection and recreation, swept down upon your children, setting life and fire ablaze within their lungs and within their hearts. They spoke your truth, they fought for your love, and many gave their lives because that fire and breath was alive in them. And so, God, what of us? On this Pentecost Sunday, your children two millennia later, has your fire and breath descended again? When we heard our brother George Floyd cry out, I can't breathe, did your fire and breath descend again? Will all your creatures who still have breath praise your name, not only with words of adoration, but with words and actions that disrupt peaceful injustice and instead create opportunities for your love and justice to reign forevermore? Help us to hear and to say black lives matter. Because even though we believe all lives matter to you, black lives face greater challenges and black bodies face greater risk in our country simply by the color of their skin. Inspire us to be people of reconciliation, able to name what is broken so that healing may actually begin. Lead us to be blessed peacemakers, generating justice and mercy for those in most desperate need. Guide us in your way, O Lord, and grant us the joy that comes from working for your kingdom. Let your fire and breath descend again. O God of justice and love, let our hearts be set ablaze. Let our lungs cry out. Let our hands and feet prove our faith. In the name of the one who bears the scars bore our sin, and leads us into life. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. So we continue, and actually we conclude today, our sermon series called Become the Gospel. And um, it's actually a topic that is very appropriate given what has gone on this week. We're going to be talking about how we become witnesses to this gospel, not only through our words, but also through our actions and maybe through our listening. We're going to talk about that today. Um, To help us on our way, we're going to look at a couple of key verses and actually pretty brief portions of Scripture this morning, but there's a lot of imagery and symbolism and meaning within them. This is the text that we refer to as salt and light, and it comes to us in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. If you have your Bibles with you or a Bible app and it doesn't take you away from the stream, go ahead and open it now, or you can see the words on your screen. And Jesus says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, How can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. 
So as I was looking at this scripture this week and thinking about salt, uh, my mind immediately went to cooking, right? That's what salt is primarily for. It has other uses, but mostly we use it in cooking. And I love to cook. Reagan knows this. I've cooked approximately, I want to say every meal since we've been in quarantine. I um, made one. You made one. Okay, scoreboard. Reagan made one. I made one. Um, but I, I love to cook. It's honestly a joy for me. It's life-giving for me. I don't know about you if there's someone in your house right now that like that is their love language. It's mine. I love nothing more than preparing meals for my family, for friends. I'm really missing out on that. I hate not being able to cook meals for my friends. And as I got more into cooking and I began to grow in, in my culinary skills, if you will, I, I, um, I realized how important salt really is. You know, I watched some YouTube videos and I read some books, and it became clear to me that no matter what you're making, really, everything from, from bread to Miss Jennifer's cookies to uh, smoked uh, pork butt that I've got on the Traeger uh, these weekends right now, um, no matter what you're cooking, salt is necessary. It's this necessary ingredient, and what it does best is it enhances the flavor that's already there. That's really what salt is. It's a flavor enhancer. Um, and so I want to say that we... Like Jesus has said, we are like salt, and we are meant to enhance the flavor of life upon this earth, enhance the flavor of the conversations we engage in, enhance the flavor of this, the, the discussions that are had, enhance the flavor of our communities and of our homes and of our office spaces. We are called to be flavor enhancers, and, and maybe you don't feel like your words are eloquent or helpful or expert enough to make a difference. You know, we talk about witnessing, right? And I think when we talk about witnessing, so frequently our minds can immediately go to what we have to say. And it's important to speak up. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But maybe sometimes you think, I don't know what, I'm, what I should say. I don't know if I have the right words. I don't know if I'm the right person to speak up right now. Maybe you're unsure of using your own voice or your own story. I have discovered in recent years, and especially in recent weeks, and especially this past week, that sometimes the best thing that we can do to be a witness is to simply amplify the voice of another person whom we trust and respect. It doesn't always have to be us. It doesn't always have to be our voice. Let's take this past week as a case study, for example. You know, I saw the murder of George Floyd. I, I saw the response immediately from so many people, and I wondered, what should I say? What should I say? Surely I should say something. Last week, last Sunday, I preached about Black Lives Matter. Surely I have something to say. And then I realized maybe it doesn't need to be me. Maybe I need to allow the spaces that I'm in to be heard um, to have voices that are heard that, that are not voices like mine. Maybe I need to amplify uh, the people of color, the black sisters and brothers and colleagues of mine who need to be heard and don't have the platform that I have. Maybe that's the kind of witness that I can offer is one of sitting and listening and amplifying other voices. I, you know, I'm working on this. Reagan knows that I love to talk. It's true. I haven't said one thing in a while. I know, I know. I love to talk, and, and, and I love to write. Um, I, I like, that's one way that I process my feelings, my thoughts. And I was at a clergy retreat last year, and I had a, a colleague of mine say to me, Scott, you know, you're, you're pretty eloquent, you're good with words, but I wonder if you always have to be the one that says something. And that was hard to hear. That was hard to hear. Um, but it was important to hear. And it's something that I know that God has been working on in my life. So first question I have for us today, and this is a question I ask myself all the time, when can witnessing mean listening to and uplifting 
other voices. And I would add specifically marginalized voices. Hearing the folks that don't normally get heard. Or maybe the folks that are hard for us to hear. Sure. So um, I'm going to shift a tiny bit. So uh, I have a weird relationship with with salt. uh, As you heard, Scott does most of the cooking. Yep. Um, But salt, I hardly ever salt anything. Ever. Um, I never butter anything. No. You're from Kansas, it's, right? It's Tell the, them why. It's the Midwestern palate, you know. Uh, which it's, it's boring. It's terrible. I'm not ignoring <laughs> you guys. I'm pulling up our Facebook it's, chat, uh, by the way. bland, I it's guess. It's bland. Bland. First time I went to your parents' house, it was like salt and pepper, and yeah. that was the spice cabinet. <laughs> what? Yeah. What's sorry. happening sorry here? Sorry about that. Um, it's okay. But I think I have like a weird relationship. I don't want to hear myself. Um, I don't. So I have a weird relationship with salt because I think so often, you know, salt is kind of, we go back and forth in the health world, you know, like sure. you should have it. Oh, you shouldn't have it. Don't, you know. And so I think I still have this negative relationship. I, I hear salt and I'm like, oh, that's bad. It's too much of a health risk. We, we don't need it. We need to stay away from it. So, so for some reason I read the scripture and I associate that with, and so I think, oh, salt is bad. I'm not the salt of the earth. I can't be the salt of the earth. I'm going to ruin things. I'm going to be too much. I'm going to... um, Make dinner taste incredible. Yeah. So, but when you read about salt, I know many of you know, the salt is in like everything and it's so, you know, essential. Like you look up all the different things. It's, well, it's in our body without it. Like we don't function very well. Um, It preserves things. It helps wounds, you know, like there's so many uses to salt. And so I think I have to have a better relationship knowing like, no, salt is important. Therefore, like you, um, you are important. So I think we have to be salt. We have to be willing to be used by God. We have to be willing um, to be a a witness in in that way. And so, um, and so as I've thought about that, there's a lot of pressure, like Scott said, you know, sometimes you think like, I don't have the right words. I don't have the right knowledge, but as I've matured in my th- faith, I think we all have different saltiness or different salts. Sure. In, and I think it's really important to know that your salt that you carry can make a huge impact. It's very, very important. And that without your salt, the world may be missing out on something. And so I think I have to be comfortable that, you know, even if I'm not as eloquent with words, maybe I don't know everything that, um, that I still have a voice and that um, God can use me, and that God's, um, the way that he has salted me, or the salt that he's given me, um, I just have to be obedient in that, and so I think we can't be afraid to be a witness, because we do, so, so many of us carry thinking like, well, I, I don't have the right thing, or I don't have many gifts, or I'm not good at that. No, you have something to offer. Um, God needs you to be the salt of the earth. And, and really, we're talking about a balance that we try to strike, right? Because as Reagan said, um, you know, nobody wants a plate full of salt, right? You can tell when somebody has oversalted your, your meal. And, and once you've oversalted, there's no coming back. No. You can't take salt off of the dinner table, right? You, know, like you can't remove it from the food that you're cooking. So you have to, you know, salt reasonably, but, but you also know when it's missing. You know when it's plain. And so we're really looking to try to strike a balance. Um, the way I would put it is this. Oversalted is inedible. You know what that tastes like undersalted is flavorless and you can't wait for dinner to be over properly salted is memorable right when we find that balance between listening 
amplifying other voices, and then also using our own when we feel called and when we know the time is right. Times like this time, when you know it's time to say something and speak out. Um, Those are the moments when people take notice. They'll say, wow, normally so-and-so doesn't have a lot to say on this, and now all of a sudden they're saying something. Maybe I should listen. Oversalted is inedible. Undersalted is flavorless. Properly salted is memorable. Yeah, and I think that's important because, um, you know, we... If we are oversalted, um, when we come on too strong, when we're just loud noise, we're constantly talking, we're 100% like... The clinging gong, yeah, right? Yeah, like Paul people stop paying attention. People yeah. don't listen because they're turned off by that almost aggressive nature. Like, um, But then there's times where like we, we really don't do enough. Like right. um, we are real, real subtle or we... Don't want to hurt people's feelings. Yeah, or we, don't do, want people we to do something us. really minor. Um, and that can be just as painful. That can be actually more painful. Oh, the silence <laughs> you know, can be deafening is, for is, people. It's very painful. Yeah. Um, and so it's striking that balance. And so for me, I feel like um, to be that properly salted, um, that I have, to, I have to balance when it is time to speak out and how do I do gentle you know, gentle words, I'm still kind. I'm, you know, I don't, I don't get a pass. Right. Um, there's still a way to get your point out and you don't have to be aggressive or mean or use you know, whatever. Um, How do you discern that time? That's not in the script. I know, it's not. I'm just asking you. How do you discern that time? Discern when... Like when it's the right time to speak Um, out? Gosh, I... I, Well, there's a lot of times right now. But I think, honestly, when I see... It comes back to... I say this all the time. When it comes back to when people are being hurt and I know that... I guess, it, like, in today's terms, like, I've heard a lot from black colleagues, like, we can, we can shout, we can do things, but when someone who is white speaks out, okay. there's a lot of power in that. Um, so when you see the felt need for When I see voice? the felt need, um, yeah, and then just engaging in good conversation, too, but I think, honestly, I think it's just a, it's a spirit thing. When I feel the Holy Spirit stirring mm. in me and pressing upon me and convicting me, like this, this passage this week was really convicting for me. Yeah. The fact that we read it this week. Right. Uh, I call it the pit in my gut. Yeah. For me, it happens in my gut. I don't know about y'all, but I get this feeling in my gut that when I just, it doesn't leave and it doesn't leave yeah. and it doesn't leave. And I go to sleep thinking, oh, I'll be gone tomorrow. And right. it's still there in the morning. Yeah, um, it's hard to sleep. Or Holy Spirit sits sick. right yeah. in my gut. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think there's just, I think to be properly, you have to know when to speak out. You also know when to sit and you know when you need to listen and you need to, all of us need to continually learn and educate ourselves. Um, and we got to learn to show up. We got to learn to show up and be a good witness. I find it interesting that of all the things that we've talked about, and we've talked about different ways that, you know, we can be over-salted, under-salted, really what Jesus is most concerned about, he says, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You know, Jesus is really most concerned about us losing our taste, right? Yeah. Um, I think he's talking about a faith that no longer has anything to say of importance, right? A faith that if you ask somebody, well, what does it mean for you to follow Jesus? How does Jesus make your life 
different, right? How, how does that change the way that you live? And if you don't know how to answer that question, Jesus says, man, that's, that's a dangerous place to be. If you've lost your flavor, if you don't know what you bring to the table, if you don't know what your faith brings to your life and what you're hoping to share with other people, then how could you possibly want to be a witness? I think a lot of us are honestly, and I've been here too, trust me, I've been here countless times when I've heard a preacher telling me to evangelize, and I'm thinking to myself, evangelize what? You know, those have been moments in my life where I felt so distant from God and so distant from Christ, and so, um, and, and I didn't know how my life looked any different because of my faith, and so I felt really convicted in that moment, I think Jesus is okay with that. I think Jesus is okay with a little bit of conviction of going, hey, when's the last time you took a moral inventory and asked yourself, is my life any different because of my faith? Yeah. When's the last time Jesus actually told me to do something and I did it and my life turned out differently? Mm-hmm. And not necessarily for the better, sometimes in a more challenging way, right? Um, what's that flavor that maybe I've lost? And, and, and the, hard part that, the hard thing for us to hear is Jesus says, man, once you've lost that flavor, it's hard to get it back. You know, it can be. And I don't mean to preach a hopeless message. I mean, in, in the Methodist church, we believe you can take three steps forward, or three steps backwards and five steps forward, and that's right. the way that the faith journey goes. But I think Jesus is really saying, are we aware of when that salt has lost its flavor, yeah. of when our faith has lost its flavor in our lives and in our public witness? Because he says, man, if, it, if it's lost its flavor, it's kind of like dust in your mouth, and you ought to just put it back on the ground and trample it under your feet. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I feel like I've, I've been really convicted of that because the whole understated, um, it's just so comfortable yeah. to live in that space, um, to kind of see things and know things and hear things and just be like, especially if it doesn't really affect you, doesn't directly oh. impact you, um, you're kind of like, oh, that's, that's a shame. And then you move on with your day. Um, Or just learning, I don't know, not not giving into fear or worry all the time and think, well, I can't. Again, it goes back to, well, I can't do that because I might upset someone or I may not have the full answer. But I think sometimes even just sticking, just even dipping your toe out, I think once you start that, then you can maybe get a little bit more bold and your witness, right. but you have to start somewhere. Right. If you keep saying no um, to God, if you keep saying no to that spirit, then you're going to, you're going to kind of f- forget that. I don't know. Well, you're going to be able to ignore it more. And just like, I mean, go back to the cooking analogy. Not everybody's going to like your flavor. Like I had to get used to that. I, I, you know, when I was more immature, I wanted everybody to always like me all the time. And there's something to be said for someone who likes to be a peacemaker sure. and likes to, you know, I'm not saying don't, don't, you know, go get in fights all the time. I'm not saying <laughs> yeah. that. But I, what I am saying is that when we begin to stand for something, we, when we begin to express our faith, when we begin to live publicly and become the gospel, mm-hmm. there are going to be some folks that don't like your flavor. And that's okay. Yeah. Because Jesus is trying to convince us that it's actually better to live that way and know who the folks are that don't like your saltiness so that maybe they can go find somebody else to hang around or maybe they could actually stop and listen and have their hearts changed. Mm -hmm. But if all we do is offer flavorlessness all of the time, then then Jesus says, what is the point? And so it, it was hard for me to realize that in my life, when, if I'm going to express the flavor that Christ is asking me to, there are going to be some people that it's just not going to suit their taste. Yeah. And I have to be okay with that. 
Yeah. I have to be okay with that. Right. I mean, people were not a huge fan of Jesus at the time. Some would say. And so it's yeah. like, not that it's, it's a competition. Let's see. Like, no, but I mean, if he, if he is the example. Yeah, then you have to be really comfortable with people chasing you out of towns and yelling at you and maybe not hearing and, and knowing that like, if you feel like you are being obedient to what God, what the Spirit has pressed upon you, and you are going about it, you know, I, we never see Jesus really be mean to people. You know, he's not. Well, he did flip some tables He did flip over. some tables. He called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. Um, he does those things. But there was still, even when he was really strong. But there was a core of ca- justice in yes, there. Yes. Uh, he was still gentle. He was still kind, you know, I think. And I think he probably always listened to people, you know. Sure. Um, he was an it. expert listener. So I think when we get into these conversations or when you start to witness and do things, again, you, you got you to gotta listen more than, um, sometimes more than you're talking. It, the, the listening portion is key because that's where growth happens. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, sort of like the first time I heard the phrase Black Lives Matter, my gut reaction was, well, well don't all lives matter? Yeah. And then I listened. And I realized why that wasn't a helpful response, yeah. and I changed. Um, or this past week, uh, you know, uh, seeing the protests and, 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 and turning into riots in some cases, and, and, and not condoning riots, but, you know, it, people love to quote the words of Dr. King and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how we need to be about peaceful resistance. But Dr. King also said we have to understand that riots are the language of folks who feel unheard. Yeah, and until we understand why the riots are happening then we'll never be able to understand really the root source of the issue. And you can have a nuanced view like that. You can say, I don't condone the riots, and let's not get distracted and, mm-hmm. and say, oh, well, everybody's wrong. No, there is a source. There is a root here. Can we address mm-hmm. it? Um, but that only happens if we're willing to listen yeah. and listen to more than one voice. So um, to conclude our time with, with, the, with the salt, Uh, Jesus is really saying this, that if we're tasteless, if we've got nothing to say, no witness to offer, and our gospel is like dust in our mouths, then it's better to be put under feet, right? And and that that is meant to be a convicting message because then Jesus has a really hope-filled one that I want us to hear this morning. He says this beginning in verse 14, the very next verse. He says, you, the same people he just said, "Don't don't be tasteless, but Here's why. Here's why you need flavor. Do you want to hear the good news? People of salt, people of flavor, you're also the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. He's not saying you as a people. He's saying you as an individual. Peter, Matthew, Luke, let your lights shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. When we go about hiding our witness, when we hide our faith, when we try to make Jesus a a private relationship in our lives, it's like trying to hide that light under a bushel basket. You know what happens to a flame when it's kept under a basket or under a covering for long enough? What happens? 
it gets snuffed out. Mm -hmm. Jesus is saying, don't do that. The faith was never meant to be a private exercise. As Methodists, John Wesley was so committed that our faith, our works proved our faith. That the second you came to faith in Jesus, your good works were going to be following because there was something inherently public about the Christian faith that just could not be hid. What is it like in our lives if we can live that way, if we could live a Christian faith that just has to be public because there's simply no other way? Right. And it's not about being showy or braggy no. or boastful. No. Like that's, you know, it's a, you have to kind of carve the scaffold, like, yes. yes, be public, but don't make it showy. Um, what's the heart say? What's the heart say? And who are you pointing to? Right. Um, but I think it's, it's so important because I, I know if I hide it, if I don't talk about it, if I don't live it out, um, then, then less people are going to know who God is. And the reason it's good to be more out is we need to see, we, we need to be able to show the full picture of who God is, who Christ is, and who, how he came to the earth, and how he lived, and the example. And like, that's why we need to be more bold, because I think when we just do a sliver of it, people miss out on like the full picture of who God is a little bit, you know, and there's more more to God than just one element. Um, and the fact of the matter is, when we don't live it out, when people don't know and people don't see, that, then people's lives suffer. They Absolutely. Do. And um, that is not loving our neighbor. <laughs> and if we're concerned about our neighbor and we're loving, um, we got to be able to be out there and be bold and be that light that is clearly so desperate in this world right now. And take risks, right? Yeah. Because when you shine your light, you're going to be seen. And people are going to notice. And once again, there are going to be people that are going to say, that city on the hill is too bright. I don't like it. I wish my neighborhood was darker, right? Um, Jesus never asked us to be popular. But he did ask us to stand up for what's right and to be a witness to a faith that we know is true. So um, it's also, as much as it it is about our neighbor, the the irony is it ultimately also helps us. A public faith helps us to grow in relationship with Jesus because it helps us to understand Jesus' full picture right? So the faith that is lived out is the faith that grows. The more you express your faith, the more you get comfortable taking risks for your faith, the more you get comfortable shining your light, the more your faith is actually going to grow as a result. The more you try to hide it, the more you put the flame under a bushel basket, it's going to wane and wane and wane until it gets snuffed out. And so witnessing is not just the end result, it's, it's it's the loop that feeds us back into a greater faith and a growing faith. And that's why Jesus continues to push us out into public and out of our homes and into the streets and into our communities and into the lives of our neighbors and our loved ones and our enemies, right? That's the Christian message. That's the gospel that we're trying to become.